Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Sunny skies. Welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. Tributes continue to pour in, remembering the life of Georgia Congressman and civil rights champion John Lewis. And coming up in just a moment, a special edition of Closer Look with reflections on his life and leadership. But first, as we always do, an update on the number of coronavirus cases here in Georgia. The State Department of Public Health reports there are 143,123 confirmed COVID-19 cases. Of that, there are 3,173 deaths. 15,010 are hospitalized, and of those, 2,822 are ICU admissions. This, of course, is all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. In other news, early voting begins across Georgia for the August 11th runoff elections today. Now, there are 100 machines set up for early voting in downtown Atlanta at State Farm Arena. The goal, to reduce the long lines voters endured in the primary elections last month. And WABE's Emil Moffitt will have more later today during All Things Considered. Coming up next, reflections on the life and legacy of Congressman John Lewis. This is Closer Look. I think we could learn patience, diligence, absolutely, um, and staying the course. I think sometimes we might get a little too... We're quick to see change because we want to see change happen quickly, but he recognized that change takes time. And I think that's something that we really need to learn from him, that change absolutely takes time. It took time for us to get here, and it's going to take time for it to change. I tell you, he's he's an amazing individual. just the, the fight that he had and like being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and still being able to just support all the causes that are out there even though he had that fight himself. It is it's tough and it's we need more people like him. Growing up in Atlanta and then in the last few years of a lot of political upheaval, I've just known him as one of the constants in the fight for justice. We need a million of him on this earth and I'm just so sad that he is gone. Remembering a giant in the civil rights movement and longtime U.S. Georgia Congressman John Lewis. Called the conscience of the U.S. Congress, the last of the big six leaders of the major civil rights organizations during the height of the movement. This is Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Congressman John Lewis died Friday night. He was 80 years old. It was in December of last year Lewis disclosed he would start treatment for pancreatic cancer. Funeral and memorial services have yet to be announced. But Grant Lewis, the congressman's youngest brother, addressed the media yesterday morning. While we grieve the loss of this legend, we are blessed to know that he touched so many people on every corner of the globe. He fought until the very end. That was my big brother. He was a fighter with a tenacious spirit, but he was also gracious and kind-hearted, a great man and public servant, and an even greater father, husband, brother, and son. 
Now, all of the nation's living former U.S. presidents honored John Lewis through a statement or through social media. The oldest and former Georgia governor, Jimmy Carter, said he and Rosalind were saddened by the death of Congressman John Lewis. The statement went on to say, quote, he made an indelible mark on history through his quest to make our nation more just. John never shied away from what he called good trouble to lead our nation on the path toward human and civil rights. Everything he did, he did in a spirit of love, close quote. And that's an ever-flowing message you're about to hear as we welcome today's guests. As we begin today's special edition of Closer Look, remembering Congressman John Lewis, we start with fellow civil rights activist Zernona Clayton, who worked alongside Lewis, C.T. Vivian, who also died Friday, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and wife Coretta, and so many others in the movement. You know, Ms. Clayton, when we spoke on Friday about Reverend C.T. Vivian, and now you join me again in how do you even begin to measure the mark that John Lewis has had in this world? Well, I, I selfishly got in the middle of this by saying, I was blessed to be a part of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw these men every day. I was the office manager at the SCLC office when I wasn't traveling with Mrs. King. And Dr. Vivian's office was in the back, uh, I mean, he had to go down the hall, and his office was at the uh, rear of the office space. But he'd come in, now everybody else would come in the front door through the reception office and say hello to everybody and chit-chat and say something about the weather or how you doing or some chit-chat. When Reverend C.T. Vivian came through, he gave like the wind. He opened that door and came in and said hello everybody went straight to work at at his desk he was always on the move just always and then you see him later involved in something but john lewis i saw him ready for duty bravely weathering the storm uh trying to decide what's next getting marching orders from martin luther king and then ready to move so I saw this every day. So I look at him now and I say, boy, this was a blessing for me to, to be afforded the opportunity to live among people who were ready for duty all the time. And that's, how, that's without knowing what the duty is. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go and examine what the duty is, it's even more spiritual to me that these men were helping to change the wrongs in our society helping to put the right in the right place for us who couldn't fight for ourselves as African-Americans. So to see them pick up the mantle and take the leadership and move forward and then make change, I'm feeling really blessed today, more blessed than I ever was. I felt blessed then, but I feel even more blessed now that I know these guys. Mm -hmm. I know them. I knew their commitment. And so when I see them now being described on the television, I take pride in the fact I knew that. I saw that. They're telling the truth. It did happen. These people were committed to the cause of justice and equality for everybody. And I've been watching, and, and I look at the one that John Lewis spoke a lot, where he said, whether you're black or white or old and young, rich or poor, we're all living in the same house. We can love each other. And so let's figure it out. Let's figure out a way to solve these problems so we can live in the family house together. Those are my words. He didn't say that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I saw this commitment to justice early on. And then I saw it continue every day. So I feel a part of the historical uh, perspective of who these two men were. Uh, They didn't just play around. They were serious about their work and their duty, and they performed them very, very well. They're a lesson. They're a lesson for other men, but women, just people. They made the choices so let's get rid of these wrongs and put in some rights 
because our people deserve a right in America. Now, you have to stop me because I can keep going. Like I told you the other day, I will never stop you. But I do want to ask you this. When you think back to how young a young John Lewis was, and so many of you all were so young in the movement then, from young teenagers to early 20s, when you think back to that generation being so involved and mobilized for fighting for equality and civil rights, and then you think now, 50-some years later, although they may have a different method, some of the young folks, this young generation, what's the intersection there for you? What do you hope they learn from a young John Lewis and then a younger C.T. Vivian? Well, the first thing I hope they learn is that these people never did anything without a plan. And Dr. King insisted on that. We're going to plan this out. We're not just going to go jump in the streets. We never did that. And you see, you really can't. You just can't decide you're going to clog up the streets. you got to have rights and permits and approvals. And so while I'm seeing young people now taking the leadership, that pleases me to see them do something. But if they're going to make a comparison or a contrast, they need to look back and see how it's done. Dr. King would never allow us to go in the streets without a plan. That's not what we planned. We didn't want to jump up and go down the street and clog up the streets. There's a plan. And when you have a plan, then you got, you know, it's like making a garment. You can have a pattern and then you go by it. And I remember when we talking about these are young people. So were the people with whom I worked. They were young then, too. Mm-hmm. So my charge to the people today is I'm glad to see you take leadership. But, I mean, we were never destructive. We didn't go burn down nobody's house. We didn't go knocking down nobody's doors. We had a message. The message was clear. It was planned out. It was thoughtful. And then it was executed. And then at the end, we got some results. You know, as a result of our efforts, we got a Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. We got uh, open housing. And so I hate today that we've got violence attached to the energy that's dispensed by these young people. I'm glad to see it, though, uh, but not in the way it's been done. Mm. But you can learn from history, and that's all we need to do is look back and see how it was done, and you can improve on it. You see a weakness in the plan, then you know put a, a, a lid on that hole and move forward, uh, but not uh, mm-hmm. with violence. Uh, and then I was so sorry to hear some of the young people say, oh, John Lewis doesn't know anything. His day has passed. I hated to see that because that's a lack of respect for the work that John Lewis and the others did. That was hard work. It was daring work. It was noble work, bold work. So there's no need to, uh, you know, throw cold water on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to be respected. And as a result, then we had some victories along the way. But that's what was the beauty of John Lewis and Reverend Vivian as we are celebrating their lives today. They were some good examples. I've had all these calls today, and one woman who called me told me that she met John Lewis one day in a a shopping mall, and she had her two grandchildren with them, and they were about seven and ten. And... um, and of course, she recognized John Lewis, and she was glad her grandchildren are going to meet this noble man. But he stopped and shook hands, told them who he was, as if they didn't know. And then he said, these are my grandsons. And he said, oh, I'd love to take pictures <laughs> with these fine young men. And she said, that meant so much to them because she said, Grandma, he called us men. He said he did that on purpose. You know, they not going to stay little boys forever mm. and little kids. And mm. she said she was so struck by that. And she remembered that. That was 100 years ago. But she still remembered that, that he referred to them as young men. I'd like to take a picture with these men. And then they treasured that picture for years. <laughs> but John did, did so many things to infuse other people, with some some of them with guilt, uh, then some of them with pride and Today, you can see they're down there, you know, caring uh, expressions of victory for him. 
uh, out of respect for the life he led. You know, John Lewis just loved everybody. And I heard one of the persons speaking on the TV saying that it was awful to encounter him in an airport. And I said to myself, yeah, I know. We were in Washington <laughs> one time. We both went. Uh, we were there <laughs> to save me. Well, I was coming back home, and he was coming into Washington. And so we met. He said, oh, you're just going home. And I said, yeah, I stayed over the extra day. But anyway, we were trying to talk, and he said, you know, I forgot to ask you something. And before he could get it out, someone said, oh, that's Congressman Lewis. And white kids were coming up, getting his autograph, and then <laughs> they walk away. <laughs> and he said, oh, listen, so-and-so. And then here comes some more. He, I said, John, as long as you want, you just write me a letter. I said, I'm standing, <laughs> trying to talk to you about you. I'll miss my plate. I got to go home, you know. And we laughed about that because everybody was stopping. And I saw the security guards out of the corner of my eye, and she looked over because she was wondering who was stopping and talking to this man. And she said, oh, it's this John Lewis. I'm sure that's what she said. And she ran over and left the people <laughs> and came over and got an autograph. So, you know. And these were white people, old people, young people. You know, oh. John Lewis just somehow attracted everybody mm-hmm. um, because it was his personality that was, you know, oozing out wherever he went. Uh, you felt it. You felt his warmth. You felt his sincerity. You felt his love. You felt his kindness all the time. Miss Clayton, how will history remember John Lewis and his legacy or through your lens i think they both would probably want to be remembered as people who had to suffer from pain inflicted on them but they never ever retaliated reverend vivian said when that uh the sheriff hit him mm-hmm. he said hit him so hard across the bridge of his nose and knocked his teeth out and everything and it hurt but he said, I'm not here to nurse made my condition. I'm here to make change. Um, John Lewis said the beatings hurt, yes. And he talks about how many times he was arrested, how many times he was beaten, he said. But I got up, and I continued. I was looking for victory. I wanted to win this awful war of hatred and bigotry. And I was willing to suffer to get it. And it paid off, because now we're praising him for that great work. Hmm. Zenona Clayton, thank you so much for sharing your fellow giants in the civil rights movement. You yourself, a pioneering broadcaster, I couldn't do my job without the likes of folks like you, so I thank you. And my condolences on the passing of your two very, very close friends. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Soon this life will all be over And our pilgrim journey will end Soon we'll take our heavenly journey Be at home, friends again Waiting for I enter there. Some sweet day we going home, and all the beauty there to share. Oh, just a little while, stay here. Just a little while to wait. Just a little while. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Time now to talk about John Lewis, the politician. And joining me now is my colleague and host of WABE's Political Breakfast podcast, veteran journalist, Dennis O'Hare. Dennis, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Rose. It's it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Dennis, you've covered politics for a long time in this state, and I know you covered John Lewis's, his journey, his rise through Congress, and I just want to get your reflections on on him as a politician throughout mm-hmm. these years. A couple of thoughts on that. Um, I first knew him when he was on the Atlanta City Council, um, and, you know, he was a force there, but um, I think what people sometimes forget is what a good political fighter he was. We hear about him so often leading by the force of moral courage, the force of a challenge to a nation's moral compass, but he was also a political fighter when he needed to be. Um, In 1986, I think it was, I moderated a debate, the old city council chambers between John Lewis and Julian Bond, Mm. who were running against each other for the Democratic nomination for the then open 5th Congressional District seat. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a a nasty campaign. It was. It was bare knuckles between two old friends. And it took years, I think, uh, if I recall correctly, for them to, to heal the wounds from that one. But during that campaign, John Lewis was going after Julian Bond in ways that I think may have surprised people if they have these sort of gauzy recollections of John Lewis as, you know, always taking the high ground, which, of course, he did. Mm -hmm. But he could be a bare-knuckles political brawler when he needed to be. It was politics, and he was trying to get to Congress. Yep, and he did. Um, He certainly did. You've had many conversations with John Lewis over the years as well, Dennis, and also conversations with others talking about John Lewis. Now, in just a moment, we're going to play a clip with former Senator Johnny Isaacson talking about John Lewis, his friend, and mm-hmm. they were friends and what he meant, you know, in Washington, because, as you know, the reaching across the aisle is not everybody's forte, so to speak. <laughs> um, no, it's a contact sport. <laughs> exactly. And um, after Senator Kennedy passed away, there was always conversations who would be that person to continue to want to work across the aisle. And for a lot of people, particularly on the Democratic side, John Lewis was one of them. He was. This was someone who could, and you remember just a few years ago, that famous sit-in that he helped lead Mm -hmm. on the floor of the House in defiance of the House leadership, the Republican leadership at the time. And yet, as you just mentioned, whether it was Johnny Isaacson or any one of a number of Republican colleagues, John Lewis was ready to simultaneously challenge them and engage them. Mm -hmm. And that is a rare thing. In order to effectively challenge someone and get them to pay attention to you, you have to engage them. Mm -hmm. He was able to do that in a way that I've never seen anyone else be able to do. Certainly, there are other people who have done it, but not quite in the way that he did. And Dennis, I know that you also have a very personal story with Congressman John Lewis. Uh, you know, in I this business, <laughs> yeah, in this business, you never know <laughs> where, are you, where your career path will take you. But something happened when you were at another station in in the nineties, late nineties. Yeah, uh, I was at WGST at the time, and they changed formats, and a whole bunch of us were let go all of a sudden. But the station very kindly let me do a last show. And um, in the middle of that show, John Lewis just called. Called in 
from wherever he was. I mean, there was no announcement prior to this. My going on the air and saying, this is the last show and <laughs> things are happening was the first word anybody got of it. And uh, he just called and he was so gracious and so kind and so concerned. It, it, you know, when you have someone of his stature do that, uh, that's something I'll never forget. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's one other story that goes with it where, where he, he needled me at one point <laughs> after the Julian Bond, John Lewis debate. Um, the uh, show that one of the shows that I was on on WGST at the time was a political show. And uh, we were all asked to give our predictions and I predicted Julian Bond would win with about 55% of the vote. I was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. It's the last prediction I ever made. <laughs> and the next year I was up in Washington, um, just visiting friends. It was a totally social visit, uh, visiting an old friend from high school. And I stopped by the Capitol because my friends were all working. I had time on my hands and I walked through, you know, looking for members of the Georgia delegation just to say, hey, and of course they were all busy too. But when I walked into John Lewis's office and told them, you know, hey, I'm just here as a tourist, you know, just saying, hey, no, he's not expecting me, no worries. He doesn't even have any time. John Lewis came out and he said, come here and took me into his office. And he had one of those little, um, corner like curio stacks of shelves mm -hmm. kind of thing and there was a picture on it of the john lewis julian bond debate with me sitting between them and he walked over and pointed he said there you are and then he turned to me and said 55 percent huh? <laughs> and at that point you just smile and nod <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and then he said, well, come with me. And I was like, man, I've just walked into your office totally unannounced with no, you know, there's no reason for you to give me any time at all. And he's saying, come on. So he took me through all these corridors and the trains underneath the Capitol and all that. And he was going to, you know, one of those receptions that Washington is full of. And it was a reception for some Western agriculture people, like an agricultural ranchers association from the West. And I walked into the room with him and there were very few Democrats in the room at that time, I'm sure, very few people of color. And he was like a rock star. Mm. They, they, there was a room full of folks and they surrounded him and remember, he was a fairly new member of Congress at the time. Mm -hmm. So when he was reaching across the aisle, he not only had, you know, just his own personality, but he had the force of people who you would never think who pay, uh, paid attention to him even then. And that I looked at his press secretary and I said, is, you know, does this happen all the time? And he said... <laughs> everywhere he goes. Wow. Dennis, if you can, what will history say about John Lewis's legacy? Oh my goodness. Uh, I can't really um, mention his legacy without also mentioning that of C.T. Vivian, mm -hmm. who died on the same day, um, who was a, older by a good bit, uh, 15 years, I think, mm -hmm. older than John Lewis. Reverend Vivian was one of the people who formed John Lewis's legacy as a preacher. He, he helped John Lewis, I, I think, uh, anyway, help form that uh, or expand on that notion of the beloved community. And... Um, I think John Lewis's legacy was maybe what I mentioned before. Uh, 
he never backed down from the challenge of what he was telling us needs to be done still. And yet he engaged and he engaged on a very personal level. He cared about each person he met. And that, although John Lewis was really good at tactics and planning, that was, he wasn't able to succeed at that because of tactics and planning. He was able to succeed at that because that is who he was. He lived, I mean, if there was ever an embodiment of be the change you want, it was John Lewis. And I think his legacy will be um, that there is a higher calling for all of us and for all of the tributes to him as a titan. And it's true. He was a human being too. And he had to confront and meet his own challenges before he challenged everybody else. And as extraordinary a human being as he was, he was a human being and he showed us that we have it inside of all of us to be better. And that's his legacy, I think. Colleague and host of WABE's Political Breakfast podcast, very well said, my friend, Dennis O'Hare. Oh, Rose, it's always good to be with you and all the best to you. Thank you, Dennis, and very much. Congratulations on Closer Look. It's it's a treasure in Atlanta, and you made it that way. Thank you. I appreciate that, D. Take care. You too. When we come back, I'm joined by Spelman College President Dr. Mary Schmidt-Campbell and Doug Shipman, outgoing executive director of the Woodruff Arts Center and Kingian Scholar. But first, as mentioned earlier with Dennis, Georgia Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson, last year in conversation with Closer Look, talked about his longtime friendship with Congressman John Lewis. Your fellow lawmakers, so many of them remarked on your political career and your friend, Congressman John Lewis, he called you a friend and a brother. That's right. Tell me about your relationship with, with John over the years. Uh, John's relationship in mind, I, I think the first time we ever met probably was at some student involvement meeting where people about our age, John's a little older than I am, as I remind him often, but not much older. <laughs> he was born in 40, and I was born in 40, 44, so mm-hmm. four years difference. But I remember meeting him and remember going to, to Pascal's, which is where all the black community, African American mm-hmm. community met, met back in those days, and doing those type of things. And then when I got elected to Congress, he introduced me to mm-hmm. the Congress when I was sworn in. And he and I have done so many things in the last uh, 20 years that uh, people don't really know about because we didn't go around bragging about them. We just kind of, we knew if we could do them and get them done, we'd be better off than talking about it. So we decided not to talk about it so nobody else would know, know what to talk about. And we solved some problems that somehow, somehow somebody with a little less, uh, more of a heart would not have done, mm-hmm. or less of a heart would not have done. But John, John was great. In fact, I took John to dinner with two of my friends from New Hampshire about a month ago at the War Horse. Do you know where the War Horse mm-hmm. is? I said, that'll be a good place. John said, where do you want to go? I said, we'll go to the war. He said, I've never been to the war house. I said, well, you got to stop going to Campbell's, uh, to the Pascal so much and go with me down to the war horse. And Diane and I took him to the war house, war horse, and we t- he told stories about the civil rights years for two and a half hours and yeah. uh, just had the best time. And we, uh, we've helped each other when only we could help each other. And, but we didn't need to take credit for it because that would have hurt us from doing it. And we, we were pretty successful most of the time. And as we continue this very special edition of Closer Look, we're going to welcome in some more guests. First, the president of Spelman College, Dr. Mary Schmidt-Campbell, and Doug Shipman, also considered a Kingian scholar. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. It's good to be here, Rose. Thank you. President Campbell, I want to start with you. You know, I've been asking this question to everybody about how do you measure the mark of a man like Congressman John Lewis? Um, Some people have been able to put in such beautiful words, but it's through everyone's lens. So I'll ask you that same question. You know, Rose, what I loved about John Lewis is that he loved black people unconditionally and he loved justice. And, and, and he spent his entire life 
from the time that he was a young man to the time I'm sure he drew his last breath in fighting in one way or another with his heart, his mind, his body, and his soul to, to win these victories for justice. And when he won them for black people, he knew that he was winning them for everyone. Mm. And, and he did it with this sense of um, joy and purpose. Uh, uh, he was a man who really enjoyed life. He, he would come, he came to Spelman's campus all the time. And when he spoke to our students, it was as if he were speaking to every single one of them. And he would tell them these stories about how he, as a young man, he preached to the chickens, <laughs> practicing his oratorical skills uh, and, and work his way up to the things that he did as a young civil rights leader and what he was doing as a congressman. So, you know, Spelman College has decided that we really had to pay tribute to him in a very major way. So we have established an endowment for the John Lewis Social Justice Fellows. And uh, we'll choose five fellows every year. They'll be part of our social justice program that's led so magnificently by Dr. Cynthia Spence. And they will be John Lewis Fellows. And they will, they will be the, the ongoing embodiment in perpetuity of his spirit for us here at Spelman. Doug Shipman, let me bring you to the conversation. When you begin to talk about John Lewis, the man, John Lewis, the congressman, John Lewis, the giant in the civil rights movement, how do you put into words what he has meant, not only just to Atlanta, to Georgia, to this nation, but the entire world? Well, he was such a moral voice. Uh, you know, he was the youngest of the speakers at the March on Washington at only 23 and he, he actually had to be talked out of using the word revolution because he wanted to say that word and the other leaders did not want him to. So since a very young age, he was, he was such a moral authority, someone who people look to for guidance, not just about the movement, but, but about politics and about global affairs and about life. And, and he did that in every phase of his career. He was that moral conscience. I remember when he voted against the Iraq war and someone said, how could you vote against this? And he said, because I'm someone who's committed to Gandhian nonviolence. And if I'm committed to it in the streets, I have to be committed to it on the global stage. That's just who he was. And so I think that that, that moral clarity, then he manifested in so many different ways. Like President Campbell said, I, I too saw him stop uh, in the middle of something very important to talk to a 10-year-old about his life and about their life. I saw him... Uh, would stop to with big groups of young people, even in the halls of Congress, and, and, and he was on his way to something, he would stop to talk to them. Then, of course, his graphic novels. I mean, he found a way to reach a whole new generation in, in using different medium. And I think that's what, what is, is one of his incredible legacies, is that he was somebody who, I think, maintained that youthful spirit. And I wonder if, and and if it goes back to his beginning, you know, he wrote a, a handwritten letter to Dr. King mm -hmm. and said, I see what you're doing and I want to be helpful. And Dr. King sent him a bus ticket and said, if you want to be helpful, then come and help. And that's how he started his civil rights journey. And I, and I always thought back to that story whenever I saw him with the young person, because I think for all the global stage and the moral clarity, he never forgot that someone had reached out to him as a young person. And I think he wanted to do that. And I think that's his legacy. And finally, I want to address this question to both of you all, because especially you, Dr. Campbell, because you are in the business of educating and helping and offering a platform for young folks to help craft their own identity and craft their own way in the world. What do you hope they could take from John Lewis? I think they can take from John Lewis that you can forge a way for justice in many different ways. Uh, I first met John Lewis at an exhibition of the work of Romery Bearden. I had to sit next to him at the reception. And what I learned is, and Doug Shipman referred to this, you know, he created these graphic novels. He really believed in the power of artistry. He loved the collages of Bearden. He saw that what Bearden was doing was every bit as important uh, as social justice work as what he was doing when he 
uh, delivered his speech at Washington on road on a bus as one of the freedom riders. So this uh, ability to see us be able to realize social justice in virtually anything that we choose, I think is an important message for my students. Doug, his influence on young folks? I think that, um, you know, there are many stories about him being reconciled with people who had beaten him, with people who had opposed him, with people who had disagreed with him. Uh, And I think there's a fundamental hope about humanity that John Lewis never lost. He was fierce. And like President Campbell said, he, he, he loved black people and fought for justice for everyone. But he also believed that ultimately we could be reconciled. And that fundamental hope in the human spirit, no matter, no matter how fierce the fight is, he maintained that. And, and I think that's a lesson for us all. Mm-hmm. Doug Shipman, Dr. Mary Schmidt Campbell, president of Spelman College. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your reflections on Congressman Lewis. Thank you, Rose. Thanks for inviting us. We all know the association with Congressman John Lewis in Atlanta and Georgia, but he is a son of Alabama. And for the next two conversations, I'm going to speak to a couple folks who are also from Selma, who also share the same roots. Let's begin with Dr. Maurice Hobson. He's an associate professor of African-American studies and historian at Georgia State University and close friend of John Lewis. Dr. Hobson, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, I always appreciate you for, for considering me. What do you say about your friend, your mentor, Congressman John Lewis? Uh, I, I say that a great human being transitioned. I say that a true servant of mankind transitioned. I say that someone who uh, really embodied all aspects of civil and human rights uh, someone who really believed in people, believed in the human spirit transition, and he will be missed. But I'll, I'll also say that um, it's time for a new set of activists and leaders to to, to come forth. Let's talk about that. Uh, young black man as yourself, you always talk about, in conversations that we've had, you've always talked about those who have helped shape you. you you've talked to me about the men in your family. Um, mm-hmm. How did Congressman John Lewis help shape and mold you? Well, you know, um, I grew up in Selma, Alabama. And I every day growing up while in Selma, um, I saw the Evan Pettus Bridge. I wasn't born there, and nor do I have relatives there per se. I don't have bloodlines there. But I grew up there, and I would see the Evan Pettus Bridge, and we talked about Bloody Sunday. And a lot of the activists that were involved in Bloody Sunday were my school teachers or people in the community. Mm-hmm. And I never thought much about it until I actually went to graduate school at the University of Illinois. I mean, I went to college in Birmingham, which is another civil rights battleground. Uh, you know, I spent quite a bit of time in Montgomery, uh, Tuskegee, the whole nine. So, you know, there's a whole corridor, Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. There's a whole corridor in Alabama. But it's not until I left the American South and went north to where I really understood the gravity of what it was. And I can remember uh, a professor of mine talking about Congressman John Lewis and how great he was. And I remember saying in class one day that when I was 10 years old, I represented my elementary school, Meadowview Elementary, um, for the 200th, the bicentennial celebration of the American Constitution. And the celebration was held in Montgomery, I believe. Um, But there were students from all throughout the state in this particular uh, venue and Congressman John Lewis was the honored guest. Mm. And because I was a black boy from Selma, Congressman John Lewis took extra time and spent extra time with me. He stood with me. And and over the years, he would call me the boy from Selma. And it's not <laughs> until last to Saturday morning till I realized that he would call himself the boy from Troy. <laughs> I never made that 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 correlation. But he really, his activism and me understanding who he was, you know, over a period of time and studying history, um, I realized that the kind of work that I wanted to do in terms of being a historian is to tell the truth of our people, but to also focus on those who needed the help the most. And mm-hmm. Congressman John Lewis did present, you know, the, the real conversation of the, the universal aspect of Christ that the greatest amongst us shall be servants and that the great or the greatest amongst us shall be the least of these. And so 
a champion for, for all people uh, to have full access to civil and human rights and democracy. Well, Professor, I want to end with getting your thoughts on then the next generation and what is your hope uh, that they can borrow from a man like John Lewis? You know, um, first and foremost, I am proud of, uh, of of our younger generation. This summer, they have really um, put their lives on the line in, in terms of really working for change. I mean, you know, pandemic and protest, uh, the young people who, who I teach um, at Georgia State University and other places, uh, you know, for so long, the young people have been told that they were self-centered and this and that, that and this, but hey, they, they stepped into their own. And so I am proud of that. Um, but the thing that, that our young, the next generation of leaders, and myself included, because I, I have to step into a different kind of uh, realm, mm-hmm. um, is that we must know and understand that we must, the first thing, we must understand history. You know, when John Lewis was marching as a protester, it reminded me of the early days of the uh, NAACP and the fact that, you know, in Harlem, they would post a flag that would say a man was lynched today. Mm -hmm. And in today's terms, we have hashtags that say Black Lives Matter, or sadly, we have hashtags that will say, you know, hashtag Breonna Taylor, or hashtag Ahmaud Arbery, or hashtag Rayshard Brooks, or hashtag George Floyd. But we, we must understand that each generation has a role to play in this and that we are building on a longstanding tradition. Uh, the second thing is that we must always learn to listen. The beautiful thing about John Lewis is he, he wasn't always a man of words. I mean, he, he, he didn't have the, the big personality per se, but um, he could get you with the way in which he was revered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the meek, the humble, the quiet aspects of who he is. Um, you know, that, those are the things that allowed for me to understand that John Lewis was listening more than he was actually talking. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I also want us to, to consider in terms of how we move forward is that we, we, we must continue uh, his struggle. We must continue this conversation around voting. We are in a, we are a critical moment in our, our, our nation's history. Consider the conversations around voting, around full civil and human rights by all. Um, we must, you know, continue a conversation around citizenship. Um, we must be grounded in putting people over politics. And uh, if we do that, and then we must invest in our communities. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we must invest in our children. We have to invest in the education. We have to invest in, in healthcare. These, these are fundamental concepts of civil and human rights. And so with this generation, I, I hope that they can reflect on what John Lewis um, did and who he was. Um, the last thing I want to say is when John Lewis ran for Congress in 1986 against Julian Bond, who was another vanguard in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. he won because of his hard scrabble willingness to work, to go and knock on doors and talk to the common people. That's that that's what he did. He never lost that common touch. And so that's something that we also have to do as new leaders and activists is to always listen to the pulse of the people and try to work on their behalf. Listen to the pulse of the people. Dr. Maurice Hobson is an associate professor of African-American studies and historian at Georgia State University. Professor Hobson, some people call you Professor Mo. I appreciate you taking the time. Always a pleasure. And now we bring in an educator, longtime educator and former superintendent, Dr. Maria Kerstoffen. Dr. Kerstoffen, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I know that you shared some conversations with Congressman Lewis about education, about both being from Alabama. What are you going to remember the most about him? Well, I think uh, he had an impact on me like he did on so many other people. I mean, think about it. There are 535 members of Congress, but there's really only one John Lewis. And while there are numerous civil rights activists, then, now, I believe I'm one of them, but there's still just one John Lewis. And I personally have had mentors and advisors throughout my life who have shaped and guided me along the way. But, um, but there was really only one John Lewis. And I'm just so grateful that I knew him. 
I could count on him. He was loyal and a true friend and supporter. And I think as a young African-American woman growing up in Selma, Alabama, wanting to make my way in a space in education, um, I couldn't have been more blessed than having him in my life. He always presented solutions with hope. And that for me uh, carried me a long way growing up as a child there and looking up to someone who constantly put the, his best foot forward, even in the worst of circumstances. And so, you know, it's, it was, it was, a it was, it was like having a second father who, um, who had very similar um, belief systems and principles. And, and that was an anchor for me um, while I was growing up in the 1970s and eighties there to uh, represent what I think he has done for our nation, and that is the fight for human and civil rights. All right. Longtime educator, former superintendent, fellow Selma, Alabama resident, Dr. Maria Kerstoffen. As always, I appreciate you taking the time. I really do. Thank you. And now as we continue remembering Congressman John Lewis, you've heard people talk about his leadership qualities, which were well-known at an early, early age. And joining me now to talk about moral leadership from Emory University, Dr. Robert Franklin. Dr. Franklin, as always, good to speak with you. My pleasure to be with you today. You and I have had so many conversations about moral leadership. You've written many books about it. And I'm just imagining that when it comes to talking about moral leadership, that one Congressman John Lewis fits right in there. It's hard to imagine a more compelling example of moral leadership in our time. There are very few people who, even other presidents of the United States, regard them as the conscience of the capital, conscience of the nation. And John Lewis certainly embodied that. So as we think of moral leaders, uh, women and men who possess integrity and courage and imagination, uh, who serve the common good, who invite others and attract others to their cause. Congressman John Lewis really embodied the best of moral leadership in our time. You know, you have once before talked about those characteristics of what it, when we talk about moral leadership, and there were four that you always, you talked about that were important or that were the effective attributes of someone when we talk about moral leadership. And I'd like for you to take our listeners through some of those. Yeah, the first I highlight is is integrity. And by the way, I as I open my, my book on moral leadership, I note the wonderful quote by Oscar Wilde that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And so we're not talking about perfect individuals, but mm-hmm. we're talking about people who embody and live out Uh, their aspirations to be the best they can be, and that that's what inspires others. And that was uh, Congressman John Lewis. So number one, integrity. It's that sense of living in accord with your most deeply held values. It's the alignment of your head, your heart, and your hands, you know, your beliefs, your deepest emotions, and your behavior. And that's what we always saw in John Lewis's life. Second, courage. Again, no one embodies courage more compellingly than what we witnessed on March 7, 1965 at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Uh, The courage to walk into the face of certain danger. And as so many have said of Congressman Lewis, he was always willing to move forward, even though he knew he was walking into the the lion's den. Uh, A third quality is that of imagination. And he was uh, such a creative uh, thinker. Uh, It's exciting to remember the stories about what happened on August 28, 1963 at the Mm -hmm. March on Washington. John Lewis, just in his early 20s, youngest speaker there that day. And he wrote a speech that reflected youthful uh, impatience Mm -hmm. with injustice and a willingness to speak truth to power. Thank God we have young people in our lives Mm -hmm. to challenge us, hold us accountable. We may not always like it, but we need it. And John Lewis wrote that kind of speech. It was so uh, honest and so Mm -hmm. filled with truth 
100%. In fact, they made him take out one line. (laughs) There were some concerns about one line uh, that he wrote in terms of asking about, and I'm paraphrasing here, which side the government was on. (laughs) Indeed. And he challenged, you know, is is the federal government on the right side of history or not? Uh, It was going to embarrass and and, and challenge uh, President Kennedy and others. And so uh, when they deliberated, and Dr. King asked, you know, please, let's make this change. <laughs> uh, he said, I couldn't say no to Dr. King. <laughs> and then James Farmer rewrote on the portable typewriter, essentially redrafted those lines <laughs> of the speech. It was extraordinary. Uh, mm. But that kind of uh, creativity and imagination, and it's no surprise that at the end of his life, he, he prepares a, um, this wonderful graphic novel, or some would call it a comic book, to convey these important values and messages to young Mm -hmm. people. The final is that of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he brought that practical reasoning, phronesis in Greek, uh, that sense of knowing what's fitting for every single occasion. And I think that inspires all leaders today who want to be moral leaders. And finally, uh, Dr. Franklin, as we wrap up, maybe it's a silly question, I'm not sure. When you ask folks about what is his legacy? I feel like, like a lot of people, Congressman Lewis's legacy was already cemented many, many years ago and just continued. But through your lens, can you even sum up what his legacy is? He, he gave America a second chance to get it right in, with respect to extending promised, guaranteed voting rights, as in the 15th Amendment. He promised so much and he delivered so much in terms of America's dream for the least advantaged members of society. And at some point there will be large public memorials and ceremonies for John Lewis, for Joseph Lowry, for C.P. Vivian and others. And uh, as Pericles said in his famous uh, funeral oration, that is what you leave behind is not what's engraved on stone monuments, but rather what is woven into the lives of others. And that's what John Lewis's legacy is, is what he wove into all of our lives, especially the message, never get tired, never give up, get into good trouble, do what's right and be on the right side of history. That's in all of us now, and we will all carry John in our hearts and memories. Dr. Robert Franklin, Emory's James T. and Berta Arlaney, Professor in Moral Leadership. Nice way to end this program. Thank you so much, Dr. Franklin. As always, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. And you've been listening to a special edition of Closer Look, remembering Georgia Congressman, civil rights giant, John Lewis. A special thanks to all who joined today's program. Of course, Closer Look is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelley Canavy. If you missed any of today's special show, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We're tired of being beaten by policemen. We're tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. And gave us everything. I gave a little blood on that bridge in Selma 53 years ago. I almost died. Some of my friends and colleagues were murdered in Mississippi and other places. I'm not asking any of you to give any blood. I'm just asking you to go and vote like you never voted before. We have to vote. Be kind, be hopeful, be optimistic, never get down. It's all going to be okay. All going to be all right. We're one people. We're one family. We all live in the same house. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, 
Not fair, yeah. not just. Yeah. Say something. Yeah. Do something. Get in trouble. Good trouble. Necessary trouble. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE. 